Happy New Year to everybody. Um, this is a new year, a new start. Uh, we, we love New Year because of the feeling of a new start, but the good thing is, is that with the Lord, a new start can begin any moment. You don't have to wait till New Year's to have a new start. You can have a new start at any time when you come to repentance and ask the Lord to help you. But this year, um, Sister Nikki and I, we have been very challenged um, to make sure that we are discipling you, that we are helping you become disciples of Jesus Christ, and really um, spelling it out for you, really um, telling you what we believe it to be the truth, and giving you evidence for that truth. So that's what we really want to do in our Sundays going forward. We want to really tell you what the truth is, how we see the truth, what we believe it to be, and that way you can make your own decision based upon the facts as to whether or not you're going to follow Jesus Christ or not. I know you could say maybe, Brother Jared, we're all here, we've all made the decision to follow the Lord. That's not true. Just because you sit here and just because you think that you want to follow the Lord does not mean that you have actually made up your mind. Because there's just common sense, actions speak louder than words. So when your mind is made up, your life will follow. And that's not an indictment of anyone here. I'm just saying that the decision to live for God really is up in the air for each and every one of us every day based upon our actions. Have you decided to live for God today? That's really what matters. That's really the question. So don't think that you have decided and that you're good. You have to decide every day. So we want to present you with the facts. We want to lay it out for you. And then you have to make your own decision based on that. We don't want anybody to be ignorant of what the truth is, of what we believe, uh, or what God is like, or what heaven is like, or what hell is like. We want you to know the facts. So that's what we're going to be doing. And to start the new year, we're going to be going back to the basics. Back to the basics. How many have ever gone back to school? Doing it tomorrow, yeah. What happens usually, um, I remember, I probably, maybe not in high school, they might expect you to remember a little more, but I remember in elementary school when we would go back to school after, especially after summer break, you would start out not on the deep end of the knowledge of math or science, you would start at the basics. You would have to be reminded of what you learned last year. You'd have to be reminded. So that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to the basics this year to make sure that we have a firm foundation and make sure we know what we believe, what we believe. So I want to start today by talking about an inconvenient truth, an inconvenient truth. What do you do when you run for president of the United States and you lose. Have you ever thought about that? This is, this is an election year. 
What happens when you run for president of the United States and you lose? You know how much it costs to run for president of the United States? Millions <laughs> and millions of dollars. Correct. It is a lot. You have to pay, yes. Well, you have to pay a small fee to get your name on the ballot, maybe a few thousand dollars. But you're, you have to pay for TV commercials. You have to pay for mail-outs. You have to pay for a staff to make phone calls. You have to pay for pollsters to call people and see how they're going to vote. Yeah, the, uh, the rallies, you have to pay for them. So if you see a political rally, they paid for the arena uh, all of that. It takes millions and millions of dollars to run for president, which is typically why, how the, why the field is so small. It takes a lot of, you have to have a lot of donors unless you're really wealthy. There's a man that entered the, the race late and he just has a bunch of money. So he just entered. Nobody really told him he could. He just did it because he has the money, but it's, so it's very expensive and it's, Two years of your life invested, maybe more, maybe three years of your life uh, directly invested in running for president. And you come to that day when it's election day, which is always the first Tuesday of November. It's going to be this year. What happens when you lose? Now, that, that's a difficult question. Well, in the recent past... What, what, when recent past, what has happened is you spend some time saying how the election was unfair or how you would have been elected if something else had happened or if the, the population was different, you would be elected. And then you kind of come to grips with it and realize you're never going to be president even though you've spent millions of dollars and you have spent years of your life and your biggest hopes and ambitions and dreams are crushed before you. Yes. No, it's spent. You've paid the TV channel. Off. No, you no, no refunds for you. No, no, it does. It costs money. So it's, it's a big, it's a big, huge investment. It's a big investment. And you can't get a refund. Nothing comes back. You're just done. You're done. You got to put on purple to signify the unity of the country and you go out and you give a speech that you don't mean about how you wish the other guy well and that he succeeds when you really hope that he tanks and that there's World War III and that he's impeached and kicked out of office. Yeah, you really hope. I mean, I don't believe Hillary Clinton really wants Trump to succeed, but she's got to put on purple and say that. Anyway, what happened? So then you've got to find something else to do with your life. Well, there was one man that was in this predicament. He was vice president of the United States, thought he would run for president, spent millions of dollars, years of his life, and he lost. His name was Al Gore. He lost. He spent, he spent a while claiming that the election was uh, unfair. He demanded a recount in the state of Florida that would have changed the results of the election. He pulled off, looking at all, there was all this drama about hanging tabs of paper and was the vote counted because you did a punch card system where you poked a needle through a card and you hole punched it and if the little if you ever used a hole puncher and the little thing hangs off you know it did that count against him if his voters did not fully punch through so they spent time in court looking at 
hole-punch paper to determine the next leader of the free world. Makes you feel good about democracy. Is this hole-punch good enough? Anyway, he lost. No refund. you got to find something to do. So he decides that he's going to go into the movie-making business. He's going to go into the movie-making business, and he makes a documentary called An Inconvenient Truth. That's where I get my title today. An Inconvenient Truth. Have you ever seen it? I've, ne- I've never seen it. He, this was back in 2000, and I think it was just the year 2000 is when he lost. I don't remember when the movie came out. So it's 20 years ago that he lost the election, and the movie came out a few years after that. An inconvenient truth. And in this, he makes the argument that if we do not change the way that we are as a country, the cars that we drive, the goods that we wear, the way we light and heat and cool our homes, that Florida will be underwater within just a few years. He was, it was a movie about global warming. It's a big hot-button political issue still today, and you can still hear people say that in 10 years the world will end if we do not do something. And so his title was Interesting and Inconvenient Truth, because if there's something that is a disaster, then we need to know about it, and we need to take drastic measures to do something about it, right? If Florida really is going to disappear, if you keep driving your pickup truck, then we should all ride bicycles, right? You know what I mean? That that was the premise, is that radical action is needed because of this truth that is inconvenient to the way that we are living. Now, I disagree really with the premise of, obviously, Florida is not underwater. It still has its same coastline. Uh, Perhaps there is uh, things with climate change. I think it's pretty complicated, and it's going to be really hard to fix. But he was trying to get an emotional response that was radical. And so he told of the worst-case scenario. The problem was is that it was hype. It was emotional manipulation. It was trying to get people... And I'm not really here to talk about politics, but it was trying to get people to believe in something that may or may not have been true to try to get them to drastically change their behavior, to completely upend our country and change everything about it. So he used the title, An Inconvenient Truth, meaning that if it's the truth, then it doesn't matter how inconvenient it is. So what I want to start And it's an interesting place to start, but what I want to start talking about this new year is an inconvenient truth. Something that is true and something that because it is true, it calls for radical behavioral change. We're going to use the same kind of mental thinking that Mr. Gore used when he was trying to get people to ride bicycles to work. Because if this thing is true, then everything hinges upon your decisions. And that thing in the Christian life 
is the reality of hell. The reality of hell. That there is a hell. It's not a truth that is widely accepted. Not even among Christians. It's not a truth that is wholeheartedly embraced. It is something that is ignored all the time. The reality of hell. And if you study the Old Testament, the Old Testament is relatively quiet about the notion of hell. God judges people in the Old Testament in the here and the now. He judges them with plagues, with famine. But then this man named Jesus comes on the scene. And people love to talk about Jesus. They love to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. That is one of the greatest speeches of all time. Most every civilized society that has any kind of strength or value follows the Sermon on the Mount, the meekness, the humility. They love to promote that. But Jesus came on the scene preaching an inconvenient truth. He came talking about hell over 50 times. He came saying, I, I come not to bring peace, but I come to bring the sword. He wanted it to be in our face. He was confrontational. He looked at the Pharisees and he said, you are trying to teach the people of Israel, but you're making them more the children of hell every day. He put it right in your face. You cannot know Jesus. You cannot serve Him. You cannot believe in Him. You cannot be a Christian without confronting the one inconvenient truth that there is a place called hell. There is a place called hell. And because that is true, radical action is needed. Radical action is needed. That's why you can look at people that truly live for God and you can see that their life, their desires, the things that they do, say, believe, want, they're radically different than people of the world because they have come to peace with this one understanding that there is a place called hell and it means that my interactions with people that are lost are so much more important. My behaviors. Not only do I not want to go there, but I do not want my family to go there. It brings a radicalization to your life. You say, well, Brother Jared, sometimes living for God seems radical. Yes, it is radical. It is radical because of that inconvenient truth. It's so radical that Jesus said that if your hand offends you, meaning that if, you're, if even down to a member of your body, if your hand is going to keep you from entering into heaven, then you need to what? Cut that hand off. If your eye offends you, 
It needs, you need to have such radical commitment to being saved that you pluck your eye out. Because the Bible says it's better to enter into heaven halt or maim than to be cast into eternal damnation whole. Whole. So there has to be some radical action taken in order to avoid, in order to save yourself from an inconvenient truth. We're going to look at a couple of verses that Jesus talks about hell in Mark chapter number 9. We're going to look at that just so that you know I'm telling the truth. Verse 42 says, And whosoever shall offend. Now, these, if you have a Bible that's red letter, these words are in red. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, Cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Jesus believes in hell. He spoke it. He believed that it's a fire that never shall be quenched. It is not a place where you burn off the sin and you get to enter into heaven after a little while. It is an eternal place. It is a place where there is no chance to come back. Luke chapter 16 shows us a picture of hell. The man that was wealthy in this life, but his heart was filled with sin. He dies, and the Bible says that he goes to a place of torment, and that there is a great gulf affixed between him and the place called Abraham's bosom, the place of paradise, and that no man can cross it, that there is no crossing over. There is no, there is no second chance after death. It is your life, and then it is death, and then it is judgment, and where you go is where you will end up. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody, although if this is a kind of a scary topic, but I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to do some sort of scared straight. Some, some churches on Halloween, they do fake hell haunted houses to try to scare people straight. I, 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 don't, I don't really believe in that because even if you're afraid in the moment, even if you're afraid in the moment, that fear can dissipate when you get back to your life and you uh, distract yourself, because like I said this morning, we live in the moment. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare you today, but I'm trying to lay a foundation as to why we have such radical beliefs and why we come to church so much and why we worship and why we witness and why we encourage you to get the Holy Ghost and why we spend time and effort and money to try to change your behavior. It's not just to control your behavior. It's not just to help you avoid some hard bumps down the road because you can overcome some hard bumps down the road. 
We, we talk about good relationship between young men and young ladies because we don't want to see you go through the pain of a divorce. But guess what? You can overcome a divorce. You can. It will be hard. It will be difficult. We don't want to see you walk through that, but you can overcome the pain of a divorce. We don't, want to, we don't want to see you abuse substances and become addicted, but there are people that overcome addiction and they, they pushed on through their life and they can overcome it and they, they can get back together and go to rehab and people can help them. We don't want to see you walk that road, but you can recover on certain things in life. We don't want to see you shackled and burdened by that. And so we preach that because it's the immediate response right now. We want to preserve your life. But the inconvenient truth hanging over everything that we do is that there is a place that is unrecoverable. There is a place where there is no more forgiveness, where there is no more mercy where there is no more second chances. There is a fire that burns forever. And as Jesus said, it is better to cut off your own hand than to go there. It's better to do anything in your power than to go there. It's better to live anyway than to go there. It's it's the reason why there's radical obedience to this word. That's why we preach that. It's because it's not what we want you to do. It's what the truth is is that this is a destination that is the default destination of every person that has ever lived unless their life intersects with the power of Jesus Christ. I remember from the time that I was a young child, I could hear, I can still hear my grandpa quote the Bible verse that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Do you have to teach a little child to lie? It comes naturally. Did you do that? The instant response is no. They did it. Even though they know the truth, they're not, they don't have to be taught how to lie because it comes from the heart of self-preservation and selfishness to lie. All liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Now that, that ought to disturb you a little bit. You ought not to have a casual attitude toward lying because that is true. And because that, that should weigh, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it should weigh heavily on you. That lying is not something that is okay as long as you get away with it and the truth is never found out. It's something that sets your default course to the lake of fire where there is no chance of coming back at all. So I was taught that from the time I could understand words I was taught that and I became obsessed with the truth if I told even a lie by accident I wouldn't I would lose sleep and until I made it right I was obsessed with it and it served me well in my life because I still when I misrepresent things I still feel that pang of guilt because all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. It's not just that you need to be truthful so that you can be trusted on the job and so that you don't steal and get thrown in prison for some white-collar crime because the rules don't apply to you and you can play loose with the truth. Yeah, but you can overcome a prison sentence even. You can get out on parole and you can get your record cleaned up and you can turn your life around. But you know where you can't get out of is the lake of fire. It burns for forever and all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. So radical action is needed. You cannot be a liar and serve God. 
So this, it's, it's this thing that hangs over all of us that makes the urgency in what we do. That makes the passion in us so strong to get you to live for God. It's not just to control your behavior. It's because it's an inconvenient truth that changes everything. That changes everything. That's why this year we've got to have an emphasis on becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. We've got to get to a place where as a youth group we are growing toward the knowledge of who God is. Yes, we like to talk about the blessings of God, the good things, and I, and I, I believe all of that. I believe that a life lived for God is the best life that you could live. I really do. I believe that. I believe that you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you surrender your life to God, that's the best kind of life you can live. But that's not the only reason why I feel such an urgency to preach to you. I can't ignore that fact. That is an inconvenient truth that there is a place called hell. That there is a place where you go if you do not serve the Lord. And that's why radical action is needed. Let's look at a couple more verses, and then I'm going to let you go. I know this, it's different for a Sunday school lesson, but I wanted to start out this new year looking at what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 13. Verse number 37. This is, again, Jesus answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is of the Son of Man. The field is the word, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that soweth them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. Let him hear. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus was very plain of speech. And that's what I want to be with you. I want to be very plain this year. I don't want to try to convince you using word tricks, emotional tricks. I want to tell you what I believe. And because I believe in hell, I wanted to talk about it. Because I would be doing you a disservice if I never mentioned it. 
if I never mentioned that you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name or you're not going to go to heaven. And because you're not going to go to heaven, there's only one other option where you're going to go, and that is hell. I've got to tell you straight that if you are not filled with the Holy Ghost, you're not going to go to heaven. And there's only one other place to go if you're not going to go to heaven, and that is going to hell. We say things like you're not saved or they're lost, and we soften it. And I understand that because it's, it is, even saying it up here feels so difficult to even let the words come out of my mouth. But people that are lost are lost from heaven. And the only other place to go is to go to hell. This verses that we read where Jesus explains the parable of the wheat and the tares. There were only two places for the crop to go. The wheat went in the barn and the tares went into the fire. And Jesus said, this, this wheat and tares, these are people at the end of days. Some will go into the barn and some will go into the fire. None will be left in the field. The field will be clean. The field will be bare. There's no other option. There's no middle choice. You can't check out of this decision and say, I just, I'll be an atheist and I'll just grow in the field until I die and then I'll just lay in the field and rot. No, there's, you're going to be gathered together and you're going to go to the barn or you're going to go to the furnace. There's no other option. Jesus came preaching this, really the first one to ever preach it this way, this strong. And he talked about it a lot. Matthew chapter 25. And verse, we're going we're gonna to look at verse 30, but we're going to start a little bit sooner. It's about the righteous steward. His Lord answered, this is verse 26 of Matthew chapter 25. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchange and then at my coming I would have received mine own with usury. Now, there's a lot of financial terms in there that we're not going to explain but I want you to listen closely. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him that hath ten talents for unto every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance but for him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath and cast ye the unprofitable servant. Listen to these words. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Once again, Jesus is saying you can't escape this great division. One will go one way, one will go the other. You can't escape it, young person. 
You can't escape it. I'm, I'm not preaching for an altar call today. I'm preaching for your understanding in your heart. That when we encourage prayer, when we encourage reading of the word, when we encourage faithfulness to God, when we encourage you to be honest with yourself and to repent of your sins, it's because there is an inconvenient truth that's hanging over every one of our heads. That no matter how much we distract ourselves, no matter how much entertainment we partake of, that this is a truth that is almost unbearable. That's why it's important. It's necessary that you know who God is. That your life is saved. That you feel the weight of this. Because Jesus came confronting you with this. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and wear a WWJD bracelet and try to be nice to your neighbor without dealing with these verses, these words in red. There will be a separation. The unprofitable servants will be bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness. Matthew chapter 10 Verse number 26, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. He's talking about the political power, the people that can arrest you. Don't fear them because judgment day is coming. Verse number 27, what I tell you in darkness that ye speak in light and what ye hear in the ear that preach you upon the housetops. Jesus is saying, I'm telling it to you as my disciples. I'm telling it to you in secret, but you are going to proclaim it to the nations. You have got to preach what I'm going to say. And you fear not them which kill the body. This is talking about an intense form of peer pressure. Those that make you feel inferior, those that make you feel less than who you are, those that could even have the power to put you in prison and even put you to death. That's the kind of peer pressure the disciples were facing. It was much more than being bullied at school. It was much more than being mocked and made fun of. It was much more than being told that you're dumb or you're stupid or anything like that. It was, I'm going to put you in jail and you're going to die. And Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that one? That's God. There will not be an excuse. There will not be an excuse. You will stand before God. And this truth changes everything that we do. It helps you walk a little bit straighter when people make fun of you for going to church because you know what's at stake. Because you know what's at stake in your life and in your heart. A new year a time of new beginnings.
And I wanted to bring this to confront you in this new year. I say it often, but your time is short in this youth group. And my time to influence you is short. And I want to be as honest with you as I possibly can. I want to tell you straight. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you've got to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. There is no other option. There's no other option for you. A good career won't help you if you don't have those things. If you don't have the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're not living for God. If you're in sin that's unrepented. If you're lying and not, haven't brought it to an altar. If you've got secret things in your life. A good career. A nice wife. A nice husband. Beautiful kids. A nice car. None of that will help you. Because there is an con- inconvenient truth. That hangs over every one of our heads. And because I believe it. I want to tell it to you straight. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to scare you and manipulate you. you. You heard the verses in this Bible. And we love the book of Proverbs, and we love the inspirational verse of the day. You know, we get the verses, I can do all things through Christ, for God so loved the world. God does love you, and that's why he died on the cross. That's why we celebrate Easter, because God would stop at nothing to save you. You have a Savior that's on your side, but you've got to turn to him. And I wanted to be as plain as I possibly could. I do not want to couch my language. I, I, I promise I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm not trying to make you think that this is not that big a deal. Just because I, I like to have a good time and we like to hang out, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not satisfied just with young people that come and hang out at church. I want to see you live for God because I know what's at stake. I want to see you get the Holy Ghost because I know what's at stake. I know what's at stake. I feel it. I feel like you, that I feel like my daughter when I look at her and I think, my God, she's got to get the Holy Ghost. And I've got to teach her how. And it hangs over me and I believe it, so I've got to tell you about it. If it were up to me, I wouldn't believe it. Really, to be honest with you, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't look at you and wish that that were the only options available. But I believe it to be true with my whole heart. Because I know Him. And I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, the real thing. And I know that you need it. So this year, you've got to really make up your mind. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to repent of my sins. And you know what happens when you get that place? I'm going to repent of my sins. God, I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. Then the blessings of God start pouring into your life. And you know what? You don't live that whole way in fear. I don't live in fear every day. I serve him because he's been good to me. But you know where it started? It started with, God, I've got to get the Holy Ghost or I'm going to be lost. I've got to get the Holy Ghost or I'm going to be lost. I thought about that at nine years old. That's what made me push past my grandmother and make my way to an altar when nobody went with me and lift up my hands and pray and take God, I've got to have the Holy Ghost. I'll give everything for that. And God filled me with His Spirit. Because I believe this. I believe this. We're not playing around. Playtime 
is over. As the preacher preached. It's over. I believe it. I want you to bow your heads right now. God, you see this group of young people. And I know that not one of them have been brought to us by accident. I know there's not one person here that you are not reaching for. Because you are good. And because there is the punishment of the wicked, you have given us every opportunity, time and time again, to repent. And God, you're giving us one more opportunity today. One more opportunity this moment. I pray that in this time right now, that your spirit would begin to go forth and convict these young people. Not because they're awful young people, but because all of us are in need of a Savior. God, I stand in need of you. I stand in need of a Savior. I need you to convict me. Don't let anything build up in my heart that would cause me to be lost. That would cause me to fail in my duty to tell these young people the truth. To tell my daughter the truth. To stand and declare your word as I believe it to be true God, I pray that you would help us in this new year to get serious about living for you. That you would help us to get serious about our walk with you. And that every young person that needs the gift of the Holy Ghost, God, I pray that you would fill them with your power and your anointing so that they can know who you are, they can rest assured in their salvation, that one day, God, we will gather together around your throne in heaven. And I want to see every young person there. I want to see all of these faces there on that day. Go with us. Touch our service on Wednesday. Help us to come in with a passion, with a desire, with a fervency in our spirit. Touch our service tonight. Help us to worship. Help us to pray. To seek your face. And God, we give you glory and we give you praise.